Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. I look at everyone I meet every moment. I'm just proud to be a part of it. I think I, I think, I think I have some real moments coming up because I'm just getting comfortable. And I think until you're truly comfortable and genuine and authentic and able to take a deep breath and be okay with silence, then you can find those moments. Welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Very excited today. I am here with Kirk Fox, and we are here late at night at the fabulous Industry Standard podcast studios here in Century City. And it's such a pleasure to see him. I'm always happy when I see him, and I am going to give him the introduction that he deserves. I will say this about Kirk Fox. I want to give him the introduction he deserves, but... He is a guy who's a minimalist when it comes to his bio. So this will probably be the shortest introduction I've ever given a guest, but it's not because of me. I'm going to blame it on my guest who gave me the condensed Reader's Digest version of his bio and wanted me to keep it at this length uh, because he knows how outrageous and how long and how boring my introductions are. So without further ado, here goes. Kirk Fox is an actor, writer, producer, and award-winning stand-up comedian. Fox was the host of the syndicated daytime conflict talk show, The Test, and had a recurring role on NBC's hit comedy series, Parks and Recreation as Sewage Joe. His other acting credits include Nickelodeon's How to Rock, NBC's Community, The Carmichael Show, The Mick, and is a series regular on CBS's hour-long dramedy, Rush Hour. Fox's extensive television background includes multiple guest appearances on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, Conan, as well as his own Comedy Central Presents special. 
His experience is not only limited to television, though, as Fox has also built an impressive list of film credits, including Forgetting Sarah Marshall, The Postman, Postgrad, The Patriot, and Wyatt Earp. All right, ladies and gentlemen, a man who reminds me of Sam Elliott in the movie Lifeguard, only with a comedic twist. Please welcome a guy who I love very dearly and I think is amazingly talented, Kirk Fox. Wow. I was hoping Sam Elliott would be here. <laughs> now, I remind you of him because of the mustache or just my, uh, my laconic, my posture? No, I think you remind me of him because... I remember the tagline from that movie, Lifeguard, Every Woman's Summertime Dream. And when I look at you, I think to myself, you can have anybody you want. I don't know about that. I mean, I'm sure there's some that I can't have. <laughs> but I guess if you're a lifeguard, you can have anybody. If you know CPR, no one's off limits. <laughs> It's always a good sign when Kirk Fox takes off one of his signature jackets. That means shit's about to go down. Where you have me stationed, it's pretty hot. Took a lot to get here. Yeah. I had a run in with the security. I don't know if you realize how protected you are, but taking off the jacket doesn't really mean I'll that tell you much. Something. If these guys were around in 1963, Kennedy would still be alive today. They, they had you protected, except he just put me in the elevator. <laughs> You were coming down to meet me and I was already there, so I could have taken him out. I could have taken just about everybody out if I was armed. I have so many things to ask you. Well, you can ask. It doesn't mean you'll get any of them answered. I'm just trying to be here. I I didn't want to be here. I know that, and there's reasons for everything, and maybe we'll get into those. I have so many things to ask you. I think the first thing I want to ask you is this. From the moment I met you, I believe it was at the Actors Gang, which was Tim Robbins' tremendous acting troupe here in Los Angeles. Ned Bellamy. Ned's the other partner with, with Tim. I love Ned he, Bellamy. He and Tim are pals. And so I met Kirk there, and there was just something about him when I first met him, and I think he was just starting to think about stand-up. I think I'd seen you earlier in the night. I saw you in the parking lot of the comedy store. You were, had been up there with Dane. And I said, you know, you should think about me. And I'd been doing comedy, I think, two weeks. But I felt good about what I had done. And then I saw you later in the evening. Which took longer, me to work with you or you to do the podcast? I, I, well, doing the podcast is probably <laughs> working before you're working for me. <laughs> Barry, you've gotten to the point in your career where you don't need to do much heavy lifting. <laughs> Apparently, because of my back is thrown out of the Yeah, but you're not going to go out of your way. You know what? You, you can guide someone in the right direction if they have questions, but you're not out hunting these days. I think that's an interesting thing that you're saying. I love these podcasts because they go in all different directions. Well, this, first of all, this podcast is not about me. This could be an intervention with you. That could be it too. That's another thing we could talk about. I could be here to ask you a lot of questions. And you will. This is free forum. There's this philosophy always is that if somebody is feeling something or thinking it about you, then it's valid, even if you don't think it's valid. No one knows our work ethics like ourselves. No one knows what we do except ourselves ultimately because nobody's around us for all the hours that we're in the earth and if someone's ourselves. lashing out at someone they're only lashing out at themselves if anyone's ever attacking management or agents 
the truth is they're attacking themselves for not giving their team more to work with. At the end of the day, it always comes down to the talent. But how come managers and agents don't attack talent? New day, man. New world. Does that mean they used to attack talent? They used to have to. But now there's just no need. You know, if someone wants someone, they'll track them down. It comes down to followers and social media and what your last movie did. Tough to sell someone that isn't going to bring in cash. It's just a, a new world. You know that. Tough to get someone in a room just on talent unless they're young. If they're really young, I think they'll look at someone, maybe a, a new surprise. So that's an interesting thing you said, too. I don't mean to shine a light on us, but obviously, to those of you who don't know out there, Kirk and I work together. After this podcast, he may decide he doesn't want to work with me. but Or I maybe have decided that years ago. <laughs> years ago. And I still do because you might be just like everybody else. That's true. The fact that I get along with you and you can take a call and maybe get me more money. Why would I go to somebody else? When you make me laugh and you're tired and you're like an older version of me, but only a few years older. I just look younger. Yes, you do. Much better looking, much slimmer, much more athletic. But I think I want to talk about this a little more. So in your opinion, like you just said something earlier, you said, let's face it, Barry, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do any heavy lifting. You're at that stage. So why does somebody like me then want to work with somebody like you and is excited when he sees you and is happy when he sees you and wants to come to the set and is excited about the kind of work you do and when you send me a clip I really genuinely am blown away by it. We want that which we can't attain. You want me because I don't seem to give you what you need. You don't want to give up on me yet because you feel it's right around the corner of me hitting. I mean what our relationship is <laughs> I mean, what is it? Well, it's like a lot of different relationships. You have questions about how things can go better. It all comes down to me. I'm exactly where I've put myself. I give you nothing to sell but me, and, that, and that's not enough. When you say you give me nothing to sell but you, does that mean... It means where I'm at in my career, no one gives a fuck. But you said you give you nobody to sell but you. I'd like to think that you got to see Kirk Fox. But enough people know me, and there's no one lining up to see Kirk Fox. We, we see that it's tough to get into rooms. doesn't matter how good you are. There's, there's 20 guys ahead of me that can open a movie or have had shows, have starred on shows. I'm good when I get there, but it's just tough to get there. I'm 90%. What does that mean? It means nine out of 10 guys are like me. They're great. They're just not getting the shots. So they got to create their own shot. So they're making their own things and they're getting it out there. And you can make a, you can make a short film. You can get it seen. But I'm exactly where I have put myself. I have no problem with you. I have no problem with Hollywood. You know, my only problem at times is possibly with myself. A little lazy, rather golf, play tennis, should be writing scripts, should be writing pilots. But I'm not. So you get up in the morning, you look in the mirror, you say, I'm lazy. Well, with regards to career, of course. I should be shooting films, making shorts. No, I know that. I'm talking about when you get 
a role. Oh, when I get a role, of, of course I dive in. I, I'm an athlete. I want to win it. I want to know my lines. I want to hit my mark. I don't ever want to slow down a production. Yeah, you always are a thousand percent prepared when you're on a job. Yeah, when I when I get a job. So when you're there, you aren't one of the ninety. You're one of the ten percent. Of course, when when I'm there. And every role you've ever done, you've never looked at the footage and said, "I really sucked and didn't give any effort. I was lazy with that performance." No, that's never no, happened. That's right? not. That's not when I'm lazy. And one other thing that I want to clarify for the audience. When you go on stage, I never feel there's a time when you go on and you're lazy from the moment you say hello or sometimes you don't say hello to the moment it closes. I treat every set like it's my last. So you're just explaining and telling yourself and me why I work with you because when you're on the set and when you're on the stage, I rarely see anybody who gives more effort to the craft of stand-up and acting than you. Oh, I agree. It, it's the hunt of the job that, when, and lazy may not even be the right word, because I'm at peace. I never go to bed thinking I, I didn't give my day the best effort. But I'm golfing, I'm playing tennis, I'm just trying to love, I'm just trying to cultivate kindness. But I'm certainly not in the game. Well, you're working on something right now where you're in the game? Well, a little. But there's a lot of people who tried to be in that particular show and you earned it and you got it over another actor who would be considered pretty reputable. Well, he was working on another show. He had to choose one. And I'm glad he did. I'm, I'm having fun. I mean, you know, it's a great situation where you go into a role that's named after the person that supposedly they want to have the role. And you go in and they say, you're our guy. And you get there and there's five other people in the waiting room. And you're like, wait, didn't they tell me I was the guy? And then you realize you have to go in and still earn it, even though they told you that you're the guy and you're their favorite. And you have to deliver some nuance that's so special that makes them want to change the character's name to your name. I mean, some of that might be on, on point. I mean, when I got the role, they realized they just should call the character Fox. How often does that happen? I don't know. I don't work that much. <laughs> I think this is important for the audience. This is one of the things that I think is your winning formula. You don't think it's a winning formula. I definitely have one because I sleep when I want. <laughs> I, can, I, I can sleep eight hours. I'm regular. What's that like? It's awesome. I dream whatever I want to think about. I dream. I meditate every day. I'm a Buddhist in training. I'm just about love, man. So if I ever come off irritable, I'm certainly not. I'm just, I just know what I'm talking about with regards to me. And no one knows you better than you. But what I wanted to share is that your winning formula is I get a fraction of the shots that the other people get. I don't really get a chance to work as much as I want to work. Yet, if anybody listening to this were to go to Kirk Fox's IMDb page, there's a hundred different things on there. There's a plethora of television shows. There's probably over 
20 feature films that you've been with great people from Kevin Costner to Jason Siegel, who is one of my favorite actors of all time because he's so real all the time. I'm, but, I'm definitely Hall of Fame. I'm definitely batting 500. Russ, my last 10 Russ, auditions, I've booked five of them, but that's 10 auditions in two years. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. I mean, movies with Chris Cooper, Mel Gibson, Antonio Banderas directed you, Matt Dillon, Gene Hackman, Michael Keaton. So when people look at your resume, there's comedians out there who are doing comedy, who want to be an actor, and they can't even get arrested. I know a lot of comedians that have been arrested. I would bet if anybody were to look at Kirk Fox's IMDb page and look at other stand-up comedians who happen to be actors, and you talk about 90 versus 10, you are definitely in the 10% club or less, that top 10% of comedians who are actors who work and work in significant films and television projects, parks and recreation, you know, that's not hanging with Mr. Cooper. You know, working with Heath Ledger, that's not working with Dustin Diamond. You worked with amazing people throughout your career. And really, we're talking about 10 to 12 years of time, maybe 15 at the most. Do you tell me how many actors who are comedians who've worked with these people? Very few. Yet, from your perspective, deservedly, you're not getting the opportunities that you want. And I'll say it again, but that's my fault. But isn't it frustrating for everybody in any profession when there's the people that generate their own things and are constantly out there creating, whether they're a lawyer or they're a doctor or they're a comedian or an actor, but there's also the examples of the people who never did any of that. And, you know, I don't think Ray Romano was out writing scripts and shooting videos. But he was on a show for seven years and made $40 million his last year. And as an actor, if you saw the show Vinyl, he was the guy who stood out as an actor. So there's people who have made it. Kevin James wasn't shooting his own videos and writing script after script. But he got cast in King of Queens. Brett Butler wasn't creating things and writing things. She got cast in Grace Under Fire and she made millions of dollars. Aziz Ansari was doing late night sets at the Comedy Cellar for $10. 
The guy auditioned for Parks and Recreation. You look at his resume before Parks and Recreation. The formula isn't always that way, but it can... There's truly no formula. I'm just talking about... I can only talk about myself what I know I should be doing. I'm not talking about anyone else. I'm not talking about Roseanne or Ray or... we We all get there how we get there or we don't get there. I'm just talking about when I say I'm lazy because this is what triggered that whole thing. It's just how I spend my days. And I'm okay with it. Should I be writing scripts? Yes. You write every day. You get up and you go to that coffee bean and you write every day. You know, and when I say I'm writing, listen, I could be writing the same paragraph over and over. I know you write every day. Not as much as you think. Writing jokes, not writing scripts, not writing pilots. Look at your Twitter feed, okay? Every day. And they're funny. Yeah. They're always funny. I agree. You created a serial killer character on Periscope that had over three million people watching. Three million. They wanted me to get that killer. They thought it might be me. So you have created things. Not really. I remember the special night at a really great comedy venue, the Comedy and Magic Club. And I saw you walking around the hallways and there's people in these rooms that are there occasionally that are geniuses. And the late Gary Shandling was there this one night and he was trying out stuff, doing his set. And he searched out one person to ask him what they thought of his set. And it was you. What does that tell you? Well, he, he was curious what I thought. I think we'd probably been talking about it beforehand. I like Gary. But he's asking you. He's not asking the other 15 comedians that are there. You know, Kevin Nealon, if you haven't seen Kevin Nealon or any of you people, if you haven't gone to a show, this is one of the most naturally purest, funny people out there, nicest guys. There is no comic that I know of, except for you, Kirk, who can break Kevin Nealon. I've seen it over and over again. I've seen the videos. I've heard people talk about it. He does these shows. He sits down, he does interviews, and he does sort of like a Martin Shortish kind of character, Jiminy Glick, where he used to take people down a little bit, but in a snarky way. But Kevin doesn't do it that way. It's just, a, goes, Q, it's just a Q&A. It's a Q&A where he goes toe-to-toe with people, and he always wins, except when he's across from Kirk. We just have a lot of fun, and I can make him laugh, and, and that's what it is. Who else makes him laugh on stage? I don't watch a lot of them, but uh, he and I are pals, and yeah, I, I can break him. You talk about all the things that I love about you as a manager. And, you know, you talk about your life. You play tennis, you play golf and things like that. And this isn't an indictment of me. I don't play tennis for recreation. I don't play golf. I'm not doing these things. I'm getting up at 5.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, starting my day and ending it here with this podcast probably and then going to edit. But the fact is, is that you have a wonderful life. I'm the luckiest guy in the world. And I always feel like I don't have as wonderful a life because I'm always thinking about how am I going to be able to help the people who I love being around and I love their talent to get where they want to go with my talent and their talent. Well, you don't have to worry about me because I don't want to go anywhere. I've made no effort to get to some imaginary superstardom. 
But when you got cast in Rush Hour, which was a huge show with Bill Lawrence running it and Jeff Engle was one of the producers. And this is another thing that I love about you. And people might think I'm shining this guy's ass, but... I've done 190 something of these podcasts, and yeah, I yeah. Wow, what took you so long to get to me? How many times have I asked you to do the show? Four. And how many times have you said no? Four. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so when you got, I'm rushed- surprised I said yes here. You, you just sounded like you needed one for tomorrow for Sunday. Oh, my back was just so bad, and I just knew that you would sympathize with me. But when you got rush hour, it was like one line in the pilot and you believe in that philosophy there's no such thing as little parts only little actors i just think that every line's important but this particular pilot i got the call i referred them to because your relationships are so deep and i should share that as well every job i've ever gotten has been from tennis tennis is my agent he just knows everybody and he has these relationships that stand the test of time that help him get these great great jobs sometimes not all the time you didn't have a relationship with these last you knew them from the comedy club but they weren't your buddies. Well, it turned out one of them was, but I didn't know at the time. So we were, I was just as surprised when I found out that I play tennis with one of them, with Donnie. And two years ago, Donnie said, I want to put you in something. And I'm like, hey, man, I'm here. And then two years later, it was, I used to play tennis with Donnie. So tennis again. But what I was going to say about the rush hour gig, I called you and I said, listen, they want you to do the pilot. I believe they want you to come in too and either meet with them or read the line or something. And I'm thinking to myself, this is one line. You know, I have a photographic memory so I can tell you exactly how that conversation went because we were at our little Italian restaurant when you said it's just one line. And it's like, that's all right. I'll, I'll turn that one line into something. I I would never say I don't want to do it. So you say you're going to turn that one line into something. Because once I get on a set... Then I can dance. It's, and, it's getting the job that's tricky. But once I'm there, I'm fine. So you're there for one line. And for those of you who don't know, what happens is at the end of the pilot, they're calling him in to take pictures with the cast for the cast photo. And he did, I believe, 12 out of the 13 episodes. 10, but <laughs> it, I wanted 12. <laughs> it was a blast. I love those guys. And... uh it was a good run. This is where the fate is so bizarre. How many CBS shows do you know of in the past 10 years that have been canceled in 13 episodes? I can't even name any, but unfortunately... That's part of my magic. You know? <laughs> but unfortunately, you get this big primetime show, huge producers, Bill Lawrence, hugely successful... And your show that you're in gets canceled on CBS. But if it goes, then you're... If it goes, I'm not doing this podcast. (laughs) That's for sure. It was fun. I had a lot of... I had a a good time. I got to play a detective. Anytime I can wear a badge and a gun and my mustache, I'm happy. That's why my talk show didn't go. Because we had to shave the mustache. Only Dr. Phil could have a mustache, he said. He also said that, you know, we're not selling used cars. You're going to have to shave your mustache. This is an amazing process, and I hope you elaborate on it. Normally, when you're selling a show in syndication, a talk show, and there's 165 episodes, 
you got to test people. you got to bring people in. you got to audition them, see how they are. They would call Kirk and say, listen, can you come down to the stage today? We're just doing a little something. And he'd get down there and it's like, could you put the suit on? Yeah, we got an audience in here. We just want to do this thing here. Well, the great thing was is I, I just played some tennis with Dr. Phil and we were walking to the car and he said, you know, Jay who's his son, Jay McGraw, executive producer of The Doctors. They said, you know, Jay's putting together something and uh, I think you might be right for it. Come by Paramount tomorrow and we'll throw a suit on you and shave you up and see how you do. Now, I didn't even have a suit and I ended up borrowing a a suit from one of the doctors. (laughs) And it turned out that, you know, Travis Stork, we were the same size. And the funny thing is, is when I got the show... They gave me a, they, they got me a trainer because I think they figured it was cheaper to, to build me up than to alter all of those suits. <laughs> Cause I ended up wearing a lot of his wardrobe, Travis. But, uh, yeah, I went in there and they, they had me read a teleprompter and then they say, come back tomorrow. We'll put some people up. I don't believe you ever read a teleprompter before. Not before that. But I couldn't read it, so we put those glasses on. And then uh, after the next day, Phil just said, all right, we're going to go ahead and, you know, make this happen. But I didn't hear about it for the next six months. And at one point, I will say that Phil went out on the limb because someone at Tribune, the head of Tribune, wasn't interested in me, said I was a little too uh, swarmy, smarmy, dirty. And Phil said, well, if, if you don't want Kirk, then you don't want to be in business with me. And then, then we shot it. Those are the kind of people you want on your side. Yeah. I, I got no problem with that. But it was loud. It's not a world I want to dance in. I don't like wearing a suit. I like my stash. If the show had been picked up, would you have asked Phil to get somebody else? I don't know. I think uh, we would have had to make a few changes. I should have been funnier. I should have been a little more adamant about being myself. You know, there's a tele. You know, I had a, an earpiece and people kind of feeding me some lines, and I never. I was never comfortable. I'm happier when I can make my own decisions or not make any decisions. Like I say, I'd, I'd always rather do nothing. This that's the reason I never wanted to do this podcast was just because I don't want to do anything. It's always uncomfortable. You don't seem uncomfortable. Well, once I'm here, but getting here, driving, parking, I just don't want to do anything. One, two, three, four, five, six, six degrees of separation. Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention the name of somebody, something I'm thinking of, and you can tell me one line. You can tell me whatever comes to your mind, a sentence, a story, whatever it is. Raya. Uh, It's air backwards. It's the first thing we take in when we're born. It's the last thing we let go of when we die. Well, when my dad was 65 years old, he was trudging in the deep sand, Mission Beach, which he did every morning with a bamboo stick. They called him Bamboo Ben. And as he was trudging with that bamboo stick in the deep sand, and he would, he would do it every morning. He got up every morning 
he'd bundle up, knit hat, you could only see his eyes. But he was trudging in the deep sand, and his heart stopped. And with his last breath, he didn't know why, but he reached for the sky and he said, Raya. And his heart started beating again. And he just trudged on. And for the next 15 or 20 years, he would trudge every day with probably 100 people following him. And whenever he'd say, Raya, everyone would say, Raya. And anyone that would see my dad would greet him with a rousing Raya. So when he died, I just put Raya there. And it's usually under a watch band. But I haven't been wearing a watch lately. I don't need to know time. But that's Raya, air backwards. Eventually, I asked him what it was. I'm like, what's Raya? And he just says, it's air backwards. First thing we take in when we're born. Last thing we let go of when we die. Matt Dillon. Great director. City of Ghosts. Matt, uh, one of my best pals. I met him in Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, he was doing a movie called Kansas. And I was playing in a, a professional tennis tournament in Lawrence, Kansas. A challenger series. But we were staying at the same hotel and we met and we became friends and I lost pretty quick after meeting him, but I stayed a few more days because there was a lot of girls in Lawrence, Kansas, but Matt and I, one of my best pals still is, that was a long time ago, but city of ghosts, he put me in. Hey everybody. Let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business, I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Caitlin Olson. I just don't know. She, she's got a twin. I can tell you. Uh, I hope she finds her way. She seems... Uh, she seems happy. Michael Keaton. Sweetheart. R real nice. I did the uh, postgrad with him. And uh, he's just great. Every time I see him, he's kind. And he was a great comedian and just kind of got tired of it. Once he hit, he never went back. Staying in town versus the road. 
I don't like flying too much. I'm pretty tall. Unless I can fly first class. When I was doing the test, I could fly first class. And I, I think the road would have been great if I'd started stand-up in my 20s. But the road in your 40s is shit unless you're doing theaters or arenas. Russell Brand. I like him. Quick brain. Uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall. But uh, I like him. James Kahn. Man, there's a lot of stories about James Kahn, but he was in the City of Ghosts. I mean, these guys are all very cool. Created a ch child. He's created life. John Oliver. Man, he's good. Great guy. Funny, smart, always kind to me. Kevin Costner. Athlete. Cool. Always nice. I remember when I got uh, the postman. He told me when I was, I ran into him at Witsit and he was hitting golf balls. And then he had told me that he had a part for me in the postman. I'd met him on Wyatt Earp because I was teaching tennis to Lawrence Kasdan. So I did Wyatt Earp with Kevin. But I wasn't guaranteed to get the postman. But he told me at Witsit that I was going to be in the postman. And then I hit a bucket of golf balls and I'd never hit the balls further. I'd added... I added 20 yards to my drive just knowing I had work coming. I used to love those movies because I'd work three months and I'd have one line. My joke was in The Postman, I played a giant stamp <laughs> and I let Kevin lick me for three months. <laughs> Clint Eastwood. Well, I, I like to think that he's my father. <laughs> I mean, I married Allison Eastwood because I loved Clint so much. But... uh how long were you married to Allison? Well, I like to say three movies. <laughs> but I'm married. Don't marry anyone because their father is your favorite actor. But there's a lot of I always remember is like the last thing Clint said to me was like, you son of a bitch. And I was like, you called me son. <laughs> That's all I ever wanted. But we were golfing. One, You know, we, we golfed and. He said, you know, if you really wanted to golf with me this bad, all you had to do is ask. <laughs> you didn't need to marry. He said lamb chop. But Clint was nice. I love Clint. I'd always liked him, even growing up. So it was nice when I could make my dreams come true. <laughs> Dr. Phil. Dr. Phil, man. My biggest fan. He would do anything for me. I'll do anything for him. Makes me laugh. Smartest guy I know. Heath Ledger. All heart, athlete, twinkle. Must have been a little tortured. Jay Leno. Man, he can tell a joke. I love Jay, man. He he really uh, took a shine to me. He liked me. I think it was my first TV set. And then he brought me back again. You broke every rule in comedy. Well, because I didn't know any of the rules. I was I was such a rookie. You watch that first Tonight Show, the first joke, it's 47 seconds before he gets to the punchline. So he's already gone through 20% of his act with one joke. Then his next group of jokes is rapid fire. Every seven to eight seconds, there's a laugh. 
then he turns around and makes reference to the guys. Well, it was Jay and Brian Williams. And I just said, listen, I don't have a lot of time, but, you know, I want to sit with you guys. But, you know, it's the only set I've ever really posted. It's at KirkFox.com. Amy Poehler. Man, the best. She's uh, kind, smart, funny, quick. And uh, she liked me. She kept bringing me back for Sewage Joe. Mel Gibson. Man, my favorite. We we met when he was doing uh, Tequila Sunrise with... Isai Morales and I give I gave Mel a tennis lesson and then we went and had uh, a hamburger at Johnny Rockets and he had a 63 blue T-bird and I remember when he was staying on Sunset Boulevard and as we were driving a woman was crossing the street and we stopped for her and it I looked and it was Mitzi Shore this was 10 years before I did comedy, but she knew I knew Polly. And I remember she looked at me and then looked at Mel Gibson and it was a real, she always called me cowboy. That was what she said to me. She always said, there's no one doing what you're doing. So whatever I was doing, it seemed to resonate with her. She said it never felt like jokes and yet they were all jokes, you know. The late Gary Shandling. Man, my favorite, all heart, smartest guy in the room, tortured. At the top of all my sets, I I write the word open because that's what he wrote on all his sets. And open to him meant you have to be vulnerable, inviting, and present. And if he, he knew if he was open, he would do okay. His friends would always remind him be open and then it would relax him but uh i loved him i was i was going to get his uh his porsche but i just couldn't pull the trigger it, it didn't fit in the driveway jaron has a very steep driveway jaron your wife my 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 new wife i have been told Jeez. she has a steep driveway so i couldn't get the 911 because it would bottom out but miss gary i mean that was crazy your proudest moment in show business. I'm I'm proud to be a part of it. I'm proud to, I look at the whole thing. I look at everyone I meet, every moment. I'm just proud to be a part of it. I think I, I think, I think I have some real moments coming up because I'm just getting comfortable. And I think until you're truly comfortable and genuine and authentic and able to take a deep breath and be okay with silence, then you can find those moments. I like Anthony Hopkins. He said uh, the greatest thing he learned, if he could tell his younger self anything, it would be, you know, lighten the fuck up. So I'm just trying to lighten the fuck up. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the podcast. I want to talk to you about an amazing documentary that I worked on a few years back called I Killed JFK, which was unlike anything I ever did in my life. It centered on a man who'd been in prison for 30 years, was the only person in history to have admitted to killing Kennedy, and his story is unbelievable. 
He started as a runner for the mob. He was hired to drive two hitmen from that city around Dallas, and he ended up being the guy who calibrated their weapons. And he was there that day with one of his own and took the fatal shot that killed John F. Kennedy on the grassy knoll. His story, the footage, the interviews, never been seen before. You can't find them anywhere else except on this documentary. So go to barrycats.com to the merch page and buy the documentary with the rare interviews of the five greatest historical experts in the world, many of which you'll hear on the next three weeks of podcasts. So just go to barrycats.com, the merch page, Pick up the documentary and interviews, and I guarantee it will reverse the way you feel about what happened that day in 1963 and change your opinion of the government and how it works and alter the way you think about things forever. Lastly, I want to talk to you about something really impactful and involves something really close to my heart, self-education. You see, throughout my life, I realized that every success I've ever achieved in my career has come from the education I received from my experiences in the business. And I truly believe that we all have the knowledge inside of us that others would kill for. And by sharing that, we can open up an entirely new world of possibilities for ourselves. That's why I'm so excited to tell you that I partnered up with my friend Tony Robbins, who's been number one in this field for 40 years. Along with his team of experts, Dean Graziosi and Russell Brunson, they'll show you how to take that valuable knowledge in your mind and turn it into an incredibly profitable mastermind workshop or event, just like they have and continue to do in their careers. And they're launching a new training program that's literally changing people's lives by helping people like you be a part of this $129 billion a year business. So it's an incredible opportunity for someone like yourself to build your own business, share your knowledge, and help and serve people in a huge way with the guidance of Tony Robbins, the best in the business. He's actually going to teach people like you how to make big money and build a successful business. So if you're ready to take your life to the next level, they're doing a free live training session today at barrykbb.com. That's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com. Look, I've done over 440 free podcast episodes of Industry Standard. And because of your incredible response, it's reinforced my belief that we're morally obligated to share and pass on our knowledge with the world and help other people in those ways. I truly believe this. And I really love this groundbreaking training program and how it can turn your knowledge into an extraordinary amount of money. So just go to barrykbb.com, that's B-A-R-R-Y-K-B-B.com, to this free training session with the best in the business, Tony Robbins. I guarantee you, it will change your life forever. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money Drive that fancy car All the people love you Cause you're going far Life is for the dreamers They have all to gain It's never quiet 
Till it all feels the same You pick your own poison Dig your own grave Down in the valley A fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.